0: Revolutionary Talk for Revolutionary Times. Liberty
1: Talk FM. Down goes Frazier! Down goes Frazier! Down goes Frazier! The heavyweight champion is taking the mandatory eight count, and Foreman is disappointed.
2: So, when I bust him you break your neck. We got five minutes for us to All face. face. All of be oh. Because oh. yeah, when we be, be the yeah, right down the line. You're it 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 crazy, everybody everybody crazy everybody
3: oh. let's get Let's get it started in here. Let's get it started. Let's get it started in here. Let's get it started. let get started What's up, what's up, everybody? Welcome Let's to The Sporting Edge. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash the sporting edge. There's over 180,000 titles to choose from, from your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. That was our first radio advertisement on this show. Very exciting news, also very exciting. Uh, We've got a special guest joining us today, Jared Rubin, very good friend of uh, me and Roz's. I don't know if that was correct grammar or not, but welcome to the show, Rube.
4: Yeah, thanks. It's good to be here. Good to talk some sports with you guys.
3: Yeah, so Rube, um, NBA Finals, you took... Quite a bit of money off of Roz and I. We were on the heavy on the Cavs did. and um, didn't work out for us. They ended in game five. And actually, that, that funny that that video of Rob Parker and on the Colin Coward's radio show basically <laughs> set out the entire season that it was trash, the playoffs were trash, and the Cavs would take exactly. one meeting, meaningless game from the Warriors in the finals. Uh, you know, what'd you think about the series? Um, and is the NBA going to be worth watching for the next three years?
4: Yeah, it was. I mean, I think most people knew what was going to happen before the finals even started. I mean, you guys except, except for Cavs, Ethan and the I. Of them, except for you guys, yeah. But the majority of the people thought that this was a, an all-time great Warriors team, which, with the exception of a couple times in that third and fourth game, they really showed throughout the series. And you know, they just really took it to them from, they just wore out the Cavs, I think. I mean, the Cavs had a couple of stretches where LeBron and Kyrie were pretty dominant, but they can't do that for 48 minutes a game when the Warriors are coming at you with eight different guys that can score at any moment. So I think that's just what the bottom line was: that the Cavs were just tired out by the end. They didn't have enough guys to score, and that this team that will probably be looked at as an all-time great team and the Warriors just wore them out and took it to them in the end.
3: They, and yeah. Far, and in yeah. case you
1: guys wait one second here, Mr. oh, in step in case up you guys to the plate. That Ra- Roz was not here because of the long absence of my spectacular voice and everything. I am here. I'm coming from the beautiful state of California right now in Los Angeles. And I did not watch game five because I just knew the outcome would be the Golden State Warriors were going to win. They did by nine. And, but what I did here and which I find is very funny and which is good for me because I stayed away from gambling on this last game is that J.R. Smith either was your best friend or your least favorite person in the entire world behind Kim Jong-un. And that is because at the end of the game, he had a meaningless three with nine seconds or five seconds to go, covering the nine and a half point spread that lost or put the books on Vegas for a million dollars. Wow.
3: That sounds like
1: typical so, JR.
4: Yeah, I knew that I knew that there was coming down to the spread there a little bit. I didn't know exactly what it had closed at. But yeah, that was kind of a garbage shot by JR for some people.
3: Yeah, but I think Rube, you brought up yeah, a great point that uh, you know, this <laughs> you know, this Cavs team at times showed some spurts, LeBron. Averaging a triple-double in the finals. It just wasn't enough, though. I mean, he could have played 48 minutes a game. It it would not have been enough. I do want to talk a little bit about Kevin Durant, though. I mean, he was widely criticized for this move to come over to the Golden State Warriors. But I have to say, as much as I didn't like the move, I really respect his game and what he did in the finals. I mean, he did not take this lightly. And he definitely deserved that Bill Russell MVP trophy that he got at the end of the series. Yeah, he sure... Yeah, no, I completely
4: agree. Yeah, he's one of the best, if not the best, offensive player in the league right now. He really showed it. Even with LeBron on him, they really couldn't. They had no answer for him the whole series. I, don't know, I mean, I'm sure he shot above 50% in the series, averaging, what was it, 32 or 33, something like that. Yeah, he was, like, the first did, guy, no
3: guy to uh, score over 30 points in, I think, five straight finals games since <laughs> Shaq. It was, like, 15 years yeah. ago or something like that. Um, but, yeah, this was just really a dominant performance, and... It kind of looks like a back-and-forth yo-yo between the Cavs and the Warriors. You know, What are the Cavs going to go out and do next? I saw a tweet from the man we just talked about, J.R. Smith, that was kind of begging Carmelo to come over to the Cavaliers. Um, were Carmelo to come to the Cavs, would they have any shot still to beat the Warriors? What do you guys think?
1: Well, for me, I think it's uh, a win or a lose, so I guess I'm not going to help out the answer there, but I think they would be better. I know the whole argument with uh, – Carmelo not being able to join a winning team or make a team a winning team because of how individual he is, but that's because he's never played with a player that is better than him or executes skills to his level. On the Knicks, there was nobody, not even Amari Stoudemire, really qualified for being a number two guy. So I think being with LeBron, Kyrie, and Kevin Love, he could even be the fourth option in that team, and you know what? They need a scorer, and you saw that. And that's what Kevin Durant brought. Well, I think, the I think they needed
3: I think they need a defender before they need another scorer. I mean, they could not not to no, say that anything could pa- keep up at this up.
1: pace in the NBA. It's whoever scores the most points, Sander. And I think that Carmelo is going to add that to the repertoire of the Cavs. And because you need to score 125 points a game to be able to compete with this Warriors team, Carmelo, traditionally a really bad defender, like you just said. But I got to tell you, when it's to the focus is not him just sitting in the corner or taking shots, I think his defense will improve mightily with this team so i am all for carmelo becoming a cav i think that shuts down the league for the next four years but who really cares um there is concern though with the golden state warriors having to spend 1.4 billion dollars in order to keep this team together for the next four years so we'll see how that all trickles down as well
3: yeah you know it is it is a big number but you know for me the nba i didn't really like it that much anyways Um, and I was kind of waiting all year for this finals to happen, and it turned out to be garbage, just as my man Rob Parker (laughs) said. So I don't know where this leaves the NBA. I don't necessarily think it's good for the league, but I want to hear, Rube, what's your opinion? Is a super team that's this much better, you know, good for the league, or is it, you know, is it bad?
4: I I don't think it's good for the league. It's just kind of – it's basically six months of useless basketball. Like, anyone – people try to make arguments that maybe Boston or Washington or the Spurs could get to the finals. I mean, we don't know about that with Ka- with Kawhi getting hurt and whatnot, but it was pretty set in stone from the beginning of the year. And obviously, like you said, the finals were even a disappointment this year. So I think, I mean, we have at least two more years of that Golden State team being together, and right. I don't see anyone coming close to beating them until that happens. So I think everyone's kind of just trying to build up till basically – that team gets broken up until LeBron gets out of his prime, because I don't think anyone's got any shot at winning a title, other than those two teams until those those teams are broken up.
3: Yeah, and this is I hey, got a question, Xander.
4: Yeah. Can, I, can I bring in a real point right here?
1: Yeah,
3: because we've hit the nail on the head. I believe with the NBA, you got about thirty seconds. Make it quick.
1: matchup. It's going to be McGregor versus Mayweather, August twenty sixth. I'm the McGregor train, and we're going to hit it out. So you let us out, Xander.
3: <laughs> Conor McGregor. Yes, he is going to fight Floyd Mayweather on August 26. This is probably, I would say, going to be one of the most widely anticipated sporting events in a long time. Um, you know, when you look at how big of a star Floyd Mayweather was and still is, and how big of a star Conor McGregor is in the UFC. I mean, this is must-see TV. I know that I'm going to be paying the 50 bucks or hundred bucks, whatever it is to watch this fight. I am definitely <laughs> going to be in on it. Um, but, yeah, we have the U.S. Open to cover because, you know, we're recording on a Wednesday right now. We've got to get our picks in. Um, when the show airs, we'll be halfway done with the tournament. So time will tell what will happen. But we've got DJ back as the odds-on favorite to win, and we will be talking more U.S. Open after the break. What's up? What's up, everybody? We're back at the Sporting Edge, and second half of the show today, we have a, a really special interview. Um, the beginning of the week, got to interview Michael Rathburn, who is a daily fantasy sports expert. You can find his work all over the web. He's been a part of you know the daily fantasy world for about six years now. Um, you can follow him on Twitter at Fantasy Wrath. That interview will be playing the second part of the show. But right now, we are joined by Jared Rubin, one of our very good friends, and. Rube, second segment, we got to talk about the U.S. Open. playing Being played at Aaron Hills in Wisconsin, 7,740 yards. This is the longest course to ever host the Open. We've got no Phil, and we've got no Tiger, but we've got everybody else. We've got Dustin Johnson, the odds-on favorite, at about 7-1 to right now. So we know you're into playing the lineups, DraftKings, FanDuel, all that, and we know you're really big into golf. So give us your, your basic overview of the tournament right now is how you see it.
4: Yeah, well, this is, being a big golf fan, this is my favorite tournament of the year. It's the one time. They call it the toughest test in golf because the USGA just basically makes the course as hard as possible for the players, and traditionally in the U.S. Open, the scores will be a lot higher than most tournaments, so like Xander said, this is the longest course that's ever been used to host the U.S. Open, and it's a, a little different as there's four par fives on the course, and that hasn't happened in the last 20 years, I don't think. So so given that and given how long the course is, I think that this course really benefits the long drivers, the golf ball, and guys that also can hit the ball high. Because the greens at this course, there's a lot of tricky things going on with the greens, a lot of false fronts, So someone can land the ball 15 feet from the hole and be on some slope and roll back 40 yards to them. So this course really benefits – guys that can hit the ball high and long. And they also they need to stay out of the uh, the rough on either side of the fairway because it's really thick, like more thick than any other course they've really played. And guys can lose balls if they're 5 or 10 yards off the fairway. So this just benefits guys that can hit the ball long, hit it high, and keep it in the fairway.
3: Yeah, so you know, taking a look at, at the rest of the odds, um, I said Dustin Johnson was sitting on top at 7-1 to right now. Jordan Spieth coming in at number 2 is 9-1. to Got Jason Day at eleven to one, Rory McIlroy at twelve to one, John Rahm and Ricky Fowler at eighteen to one, and Justin Rose at twenty to one. So that's your top one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight golfers. Um, and we got plenty more down the list. Rube, is there any guy that you're, you're looking at outside of the top ten or twenty that you think might have a shot to win this tournament?
4: Yeah, there's one. Well, I really like the two guys in that group that you named. I really like Rory, and I really like Jason Day because they just fit the mold of guys that hit the ball high and long. And Rory, even though he's coming off an injury, he's been super hot this year when he's been playing. But outside that list, one name I think to really keep an eye on is Thomas Peters. He's a 25-year-old rookie on the PGA Tour. This is his first U.S. Open. But he really burst onto the scene last year at the Ryder Cup and then also this year at the Masters, where he finished fourth in his very first Masters. And he's a guy that fits that mold. He's coming in at 40-1, to so pretty good odds on him. And he hits the ball very high and very long. You don't really hear much of him because he plays on the European tour a lot more than in the United States. But I just think his game really fits this course. And a guy that doesn't really have any experience, but none of the players have experience on this course because it's so brand new. So I don't think that'll be much of a disadvantage for him. I just think the way that he's played in big tournaments really makes him a guy to watch in this tournament.
3: Yeah, and you brought up Jason Day, um, and he's actually been the best U.S. Open golfer over the past five years. He's got five top ten finishes over the last six U.S. Opens, um, and he's one of the best ball strikers around. So he's definitely a guy I'm looking at. But E, I wanted to get your thoughts on the tournament. Um, Is Jordan Spieth, are you riding with your man, or are you going with somebody else this time?
4: Wow, you must be
1: uh, suffering from Alzheimer's. Spieth was not my man. Remember, oh, I was he is, on the non-Spieth bandwagon. But I was a Ricky Fowler guy last time, also usually not on his bandwagon. Again, I picked Dustin Johnson and Rory in the last majors or at the Masters. And, of course, Rory didn't show up, like as usual. And Dustin Johnson fell down the stairs running away from his mistress. And, again, <laughs> that has, that's breaking TMZ news, potentially. Don't go telling anybody else. But – this this uh, weekend I've got my money all on one person. Are you ready for this one? I'm ready. We're I'm ready. Excited. Tiger. Tiger Woods. All right. All my money's on him for another incident during the U.S. Open. I think it's going to be a very embarrassing weekend for him. But really, I did so, have my he's money. He's not on even going to be Peters around as well. Yeah, I, I think, think Tiger said. will be quiet this weekend. I don't think. I I don't know. Everyone, just keep your eyes up for Tiger because I'm on the Tiger. Uh, watch party now, but like I said, Justin Rose, Thomas Peters, and not Charlie Hoffman are my uh, are my picks. <laughs> I believe Charlie Hoffman really gassed out in the first uh, three rounds of the Masters, and you won't see him again, but like Jared said, Thomas Peters looks fantastic. He's done his rookie tour, so you can't ask for much when it comes to a rookie coming over to the United States, playing on their tour. So we're going to see. He hits the ball far, hits it high. That's what I like. I also like Justin Rose, since he's always in the thick of things. I mean, he was once again when it came to the Masters. He really is just a powerful stroker, and I think that it's going to be a great, great U.S. Open. That's where my money lies, and avoid Charlie Hoffman at all costs. If you can't tell I'm salty because he lost me $400, then you're (laughs) getting your first glimpse right now.
3: Charlie Hoffman, the guy to stay away from, according to Roz So, Rube, I want to get back to you a little bit. Um, Sergio Garcia, coming off of his Masters win, do you think he has any shot um, to take home a second major this year?
4: Yeah, I think Sergio's playing probably the best golf of his career right now. He's Mm -hmm. not as long as some of these guys are, but he is probably one of, if not the best, iron player on tour. And these guys are going to need to hit really pinpoint iron shots into these greens in order to hold them up because – if they're, like I said, if they're a little off, a lot of these balls are going to roll right back off the green. Um, Sergio is not one of my favorite guys. Like Ethan said, Justin Rose, I really like here. And then also a guy who doesn't really fit the mold of what I was talking about with these high and long guys. Mm-hmm. But Kevin Kissman is having probably the best year on tour out of anyone. And coming in at 65-1, to 1, I just got to put his name out there. He's got five top tens already this year within, like, two months.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: He's very accurate, which will help him avoid trouble. He's he's one of the best um, iron players this year, as in uh, relation to hitting greens. So that'll definitely help him. And just how hot he is! I mean, guys that are coming in off of five out of ten weeks at the top ten—that's crazy stats. So I just got to put that name out there at with sixty-five to one odds. Is definitely a guy to look at.
3: Right, definitely look at him and Ru. We've got about a minute left here, and. You're a fantasy golf expert, so I want you to give us your big lineup that you were going with for this U.S. Open starting Thursday.
1: And then I want your opinion really quickly also on Tony Romo's opportunity
3: at this U.S. Open.
4: (laughs) Yeah, um, I don't think Tony's going to get it done this year, but maybe after he retires he can uh, get back in there. But real quick here, my go-to lineup this week, I've got Rory McIlroy, John Rahm, who also is a young stud that I didn't talk about, and then Kevin Kistner, Charles Schwartzel, Francesco Molinari, and Billy Horschel, who I don't like Billy Horschel, but he's got a really low salary, and he's been playing pretty well, so I needed to throw him in there at the end. But those two guys, McElroy and Rahm at the top, with Kistner at a 7,500 clip, I think those are three guys that you've got to get in there.
3: So there you go, our fantasy golf expert, Jared Rubin. Those are the picks. Get him in. I know this show airs Saturday, but we will get these picks out to you on Twitter and Facebook on Wednesday night. But for you, the listeners of The Sporting Edge, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. Um, Personally, I would recommend The Hobbit by J.R. Tolkien. Unbelievable book when I first read it and listening to it on audiobooks has been even better. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash the Sporting Edge. Again, that is audibletrial.com slash the sporting edge for your free audio book. Coming up next, we have Michael Rathburn, the daily fantasy sports expert, um, was the 2014 Fantasy Sports Writers Association Writer of the Year, had the 2016 Major League Baseball article of the year online. Uh, Ruben Raz, thanks for joining us. We got the interview coming up next, so... See you next week, everybody. This is The Sporting Edge.
2: Bye-bye. See ya. What's up, everybody? Bubba here. It's finally here. The long-awaited Bubba Report, bringing you news from all the trading floors across the globe. We've got Scott Lady, the cow guy, as seen on CNBC, Fox, and Bloomberg. We've got Keith Bliss, CNBC, Fox, and a floor trader at the New York Stock Exchange. We've got The Badger, who writes the hot topics in the political news. we got myself putting together my own unique indexes that will help you give you a better idea of what's going on in the market. All you need to do to get a hold of the Bubba Report is go to thebubbashow.org and sign up for the newsletter, or you can email me direct at bubba at thebubbashow.org. We want you to have this report because we've got over 150 years of experience talking about markets, getting ready for the trading, and puts you in the best position to have successful. So email me at bubba.thebublish.org at to get a copy of your report or go right to the website, thebublish.org. Make sure you get it. It's a must-have for every investor and trader. The Bubble Report. And we're
3: back at the Sporting Edge, everybody. I told you that we had a great interview coming up with Michael Rathburn, you know, daily fantasy sports expert. He's been in the business basically since it started. Uh, When this interview took place, my Skype was down. I was going crazy, but I did find a way to record it, um, and it went pretty well. So without further ado, this is me interviewing Michael Rathburn while Roz was away trying to get a job in L.A. Welcome back to the Sporting Edge. Today we are joined by a very special guest, Michael Rasburn. Rass, as he is known as in the daily fantasy sports community, is one of the biggest names in the industry. He's a six-time FSWA, which is the Fantasy Sports Writers Association finalist. He was the 2014 FSWA Writer of the Year. He wrote the 2016 FSWA MLB Article of the Year online. He's the author of the DFS Baseball Almanac, You've seen his work on Rotowire, Roto Experts, USA Today, Yahoo, Sirius XM Fantasy Sports Radio, and many more. Welcome to the show, Rath. How you doing today? Hey guys,
0: doing well. Thanks for having me.
3: Yeah, anytime, man. So you've been a part of the DFS community for a pretty long time now. So I wanted to know how did you get started in DFS and what step did you take? You know, what steps did you take to become one of the experts in the field?
0: Yeah, so I started playing around 2010, 2011, and I really didn't know much. And I was on like Fanduel and I think Draft Street, and I didn't really give it a lot of thought. I played it. I don't really think I did. I didn't. You know, I didn't do well, and that was kind of the end of it. And um, so then around uh, the end of 2011, uh, I think we were ha- we were going through a potential a uh, football strike or lockout. And I said, well, if there's not going to be any fantasy football, I want to play college fantasy football. So I started looking around for college fantasy football, and sure enough, the daily sites were the ones that were offering the college fantasy football. So that's how I got started in DFS. Also in conjunction, I was working with Roto Experts at the time, and we were going to potentially do a uh, – like a, uh, we had like an agreement worked out with one of the providers where we were going to do like a, a co-branded type of game. And uh, that thing fell through. But that's kind of when I bit the bug for DFS around September of 2011. And then uh, or 2010, I think it might have been uh, or 2011. I'm not sure. And um, from there, uh, I got involved in the industry a few months later. I moved from Florida to North Carolina, and I needed a job. And I was in talks with uh, Daily Joust, who was uh, one of the sites that I was playing on at the time for uh, football. Thankfully, there was no lockout or um, that year, so NFL was in play. <laughs> and uh, so Daily Joust had reached out to me and said, hey, we know you're in the industry from a fantasy perspective, like, you know, season long and you're playing DFS on our site, what do you think about coming to work for us? So that's kind of how that started, and uh, it kind of took off from there.
3: Yeah, that's awesome. So I know that you've written on all the, the major sports, and you talked about football, college football. You know, you're, you're big into baseball and also the NBA a little bit. And I want to know, which one do you like the best and, and why?
0: Baseball. Yeah, I've been a baseball fan since I was 70 years old. I've always played.
3: That's what I thought you were going to say.
0: Yeah, so baseball is near and dear to my heart. I used to be a bigger football fan. I'm not as big a football fan anymore, and I've really kind of phased out basketball. Uh, But, yeah, baseball, without a doubt, is my first love, and I've been following it for so long, you know, 35 years, and I I was a really, really serious baseball card collector. So, um, you know, it's kind of ingrained in my blood, and, Baseball cards aren't really what they used to be, and kind of fantasy sports kind of takes the place of that. And um, so I love, I love anything to do with fantasy baseball.
3: Yeah, and I think I think a lot of people out there who are average DFS players are just getting started. They kind of wonder how much time, you know, experts spend each day on research and picks. So can you give us a little bit of your own insight on what the process is like for you, and, you know, specifically for baseball I know it's basically every day. There there are, really are no days off during the entire season. So can you tell us a little bit what it's like for you when you you make your lineups every day?
0: Sure. Well, I have a full time job and I have a 17 month old son and I'm married. So okay, there's not a lot of yeah, there's not a lot of free time. In addition, to all the other other side projects I have going on, so I've really had to, you know, make it where I can get the stuff done in about an hour at the most and um so what i end up doing is uh you know there's just certain resources out there um that you can use and i and i use a lot of like i really am really key on re- on like looking at game logs and looking at their most recent performance of the players and you know kind of in my head already i know the profile of the player just by studying the statistics and and using my book and you know, so I already know the strengths and weaknesses for all the hitters and all the pitchers in the league, and then it's just a matter of what spots are they in for the given day. Uh, looking at weather, looking at Vegas totals, and then looking at lineups, and then knowing, you know, immediately, hey, you know, this is a particular situation or a team or a player that I need to be on, and I build a short list or a cheat sheet, usually anywhere from 20 to 30 players. Uh, and then from those 20 or 30 players, you can kind of build lineups from that. And then you start doing some lineup construction to see what they look like. And uh, I try to get all that done within an hour. Um, contest selection can usually take about 15 minutes. And then I do research for maybe an hour, maybe 30 minutes in the day and 30 minutes, you know, right before 7 o'clock. Uh, I would tell you this the average person that's playing big money, you know, the the average so-called pro, is is spending hours every day. That's their job. So if you work eight hours, nine hours a day at your job, these guys are probably putting in eight, nine hours a day doing research.
3: Right. I mean, that's definitely a ton of time. And that's awesome that, you know, from a different side, you said you're putting in about an hour, uh, but you you know so much about the game already and all the profiles, like you mentioned. But for people out there listening who are kind of just getting started with DFS and might not – definitely don't have the knowledge that you have about the game and the specific players. Um, what would be your biggest piece of advice to them if they're just getting started?
0: Uh, man, there's so many different things that you can talk about right. but when you talk about yeah, getting started and new. I would say understand that DFS baseball is it's, it's probably one of the, one of the hardest sports. I think hockey is hard, but it's hard because there's so much variance in hitting and there's right. so many factors to look at when you're talking about you know four at bats for a player and you're picking eight you're picking eight hitters so you're going to get about 30 to 35 at bats in a given night mm-hmm. and you've got to hit on on those at bats like you've got to really find the optimal situation for all these hitters and then you got to do that with pricing and you got to get the right pitcher so it's certainly not an easy game and what i would tell people is um, start off playing for free or um, start off playing like in $1 contests and look at the lineups that people make that are in those contests and look at the lineup construction and see how they built them. And especially look at the teams that won and try to get a feel for what they did and then look at the teams that lost and try not to you know make those kinds of mistakes. But um, lineup construction is, is probably the number one thing that you got to master, and it's something that doesn't come easy. It comes with time. But, um, you know, looking at what other people's successes are is, is definitely going to put you in on, on a fast track.
3: Right. And so you talk about lineup construction being really important, and something that I've seen in my own game that hasn't gone so well is, is bankroll management, I think. You know, picking the right types of tournaments um, to play in, whether that be 50-50s, double-ups. Um, contest. Uh, What's your opinion on, you know, somebody starting out their bankroll, they really don't know what types of tournaments to play? I mean, I know you mentioned the the free rolls and the $1, but once you kind of get into it, um, how much is, you know, deciding what type of contest you're going to be in have to do with how successful you're going to be?
0: Yeah, I think, um, look, there's you know, the biggest mistake that people make is they jump into these huge field tournaments because they see a $10,000 first prize
1: and they don't really have a
0: Right, and they don't have a comprehension of what it takes to win that. It might right. take somebody with 200, you know, 150 lineups, and they get lucky and they hit on one of them. Uh, and so it pays off for, you know, so you got to understand that, you know, the, the percentage of success, you know, and, and they're very top-heavy. And So, for example, you might play in one of those big contests, you might do well, you might only win back double or triple your money.
3: Don't go anywhere just yet, guys. We still have plenty more of the Rath interview to show you, but we are coming up on the end of the third segment here. So if you miss a show, you know where to find us at libertytalk.fm. We just recently had our first TV episode this past week, so if you go to amfm247.com, you can find our first episode is 15 minutes, and we covered some picks, uh, NHL, NBA, and the MLB of course so stay tuned after this we'll be right back with more from Michael Rathburn What's up everybody we are back here at the Sporting Edge and want to get right back to the Michael Rathburn interview we just left off with him telling us why you know Some beginners really shouldn't be playing in those big tournaments because you can really maximize your return on your investment by playing in some smaller 100-man tournaments. But we're going to get right back into it, and he's got an answer for that.
0: But if you play a 100-man contest or a 200-man or a 500-man with that same score, there's a chance you might win 7 times or 10 times your money. Now, the drawback is the upside in those smaller contests isn't there. But right. If you're playing one, two, three, five dollars, and you're turning that money into, let's say, anywhere from 25 to 50 to 100 dollars, that's still a pretty good return on your investment. And you really got to look at the ROI percentage, not the dollars. Because if you're starting off playing one, two, and five dollars, and you're playing 25 bucks a night or 10 bucks a night, you're not automatically going to jump up and play these serious contests. Like, you're going to stay at that level for a while. It's just like you might play more volume. So, you know, kind of stay in your lane would be my advice. Play in these contests that are only have 100 to 200 to 500 people at the most. Look for the single-entry contest or maximum three-entry because it's people don't realize how easy it is to build a bankroll in those contests and how easy it is to finish at the top because you might have a lineup uh, that let's say you play the squeeze on FanDuel – and you only won back two or three times your money. Well, if you play in a 100-man contest or a mini-squeeze or a bunt, you could have won anywhere from seven times to ten times your money back. And that's something that not many people realize, and they're playing the wrong contest. I think bankroll management is important, but I think contest selection is more important.
3: Right. And so, you know, you talked a little bit about your own modeling, how you've got hitter profiles (laughs) kind of in the back of your mind from just being a veteran for so long. So what's your opinion on computer modeling? Um, You know, guys like fantasy labs is something I've researched a little bit on my own as opposed to, you know, pen and paper or what you'd call old fashioned, old fashioned research. Um, What's your opinion on it too?
0: Well, I mean, you know, there's a lot of good data in those. And um, the, the thing that I always struggle with is knowing, you know, what the recipe is. So, if I don't know what the recipe is and I don't know how they got to that rating or they got to that ranking, then I'm kind of at a, I'm kind of at a loss. So I really need to, you know, when I start looking at stuff and I rank people or I rank guys on a daily basis, I know in my head, my own things that I look at and I know why I like that player or why I don't like that player. So while the information's great um, and it certainly has use in the industry and I'm all for it, uh, the biggest kind of hang up for me with those things is not knowing exactly what's the input and how they got there.
3: Right. Um, So looking at, you know, you've been um, at the top of the game for a long time. So I wanted to know, like, do you have any good stories or what's your biggest thrill, biggest tournament you've ever won uh, being a part of, you know, daily fantasy baseball or any sport in general?
0: Well, It doesn't, it's not really a money thing because this happened way back in the day when, you know, money wasn't a huge thing. But when Daily Joust first started, they had a tournament called the Super Joust. And I think it might have been about 150 people. And it was for $10,000. And it was a really big deal at the time because there wasn't any kind of tournaments out there with that kind of money. So just getting in that at the time um was pretty cool and i had a shot uh, i think i came in like 12th um which wasn't bad but you know again at the time you gotta understand there weren't million dollar prize pools there weren't you know that was like the biggest thing so at the time it really meant something and so that was a lot of fun the other thing too is uh i think uh, a few months later um there was a situation where FanDuel used to do a qualifier in baseball for ten dollars on Friday nights, and it was a really big deal at the time. And again, I think it might have been for a hundred thousand dollars. It wasn't the, the, the millions that it is now. And it ended up where I ended up winning, uh, but tied with four or five other guys. So it actually was the it was before there were stacking rules. And so what what I did was I stacked the Atlanta Braves in Coors Field that night and mixed in, like, David Price and one other player. And so what happened was I'm, I'm all excited that my team is in first place. And then I look down and I say, wait a minute, all these teams have the same exact score. How can that be? We all had the same lineup. So it was pretty cool that, you know, it happened. And I ended up doing lousy in the, in the tiebreaker. But, again, back, you know, this is, like, 2011, 2012. And, you know, talking, like, five, six years ago. So at the time it was a really big deal.
3: Yeah. And Michael, so my, my last question for you is, um, you know, what's the community like among the DFS experts? Do you you guys talk a lot? Um, do you guys not talk at all? Or or, have you made some friendships that you didn't think you would make, uh, you know, being one of the biggest writers in the industry?
0: In the beginning, everybody was friends because we were all in the same boat fighting for the same cause. Mm Uh, nowadays can't really say that. Um, I personally don't really have any enemies in the industry uh, but you know there's a lot of bickering and a lot of um, just competitiveness and just it seems like everyone nowadays is not really a community they're kind of out for themselves because a lot of people have gone from being a player to now being a content provider and when you jump in the content space you know it's it's a shark-infested shark waters, and everybody's out for themselves, so I can't begrudge anybody for that, but I think it's gotten to the point where, you know, it's really gotten out of control and not a community as much anymore.
3: Yeah, I completely understand that, and that's all the time we have here for the Sporting Edge, everybody. That was Michael Rathburn. People know him as Rath. Uh, if you want to follow him on Twitter, his handle is Fantasy Rath. one of the top writers in the industry. He's a great guy, and... Thank you very much for joining the show today, Rath. All right, man. Thank you. That was Michael Rathburn, everybody. Uh, what an awesome interview. He's a great guy. He can tell, you know, he's got such a passion for daily fantasy sports, but is also, you know, was willing to come on the show and kind of explain, you know, his whole career, um, in Daily Fantasy, which was really cool because, you know, he was doing it basically at the start where there were, the business wasn't that big. And, you know, I think one of the most interesting points he brought up was the shark infested waters. You talk about going to content and the content side of things is, is definitely a little bit different than being just a player. And I'm sure, you know, if you're out there playing, you've seen there, there are so many providers of content today. Um, especially with you know the involvement of social media, you've got Twitter um, and I, I don't think there's a lot of stuff on Instagram about daily fantasy sports, but I'd say Twitter um, Facebook is, and it's all over the internet. There's so many different people um, providing content that it's really just a race to see who can get the most people to read their articles and that's where I think Wrath um, has been really successful because he's got such a, a great understanding of the game. You can tell he's kind of an old-school guy. You know, he says he's been watching baseball for 35 years, and he's basically got hitters profiled um, already. It takes him an hour to make lineups. I mean, I remember when I didn't really know anything about it, it would take me three or four hours to look up some stuff. That was probably pretty meaningless, but um, at the end of the day, you know, really cool to see his side of things as opposed to... Uh, you know, I brought up Fantasy Labs was one of the DFS sites I used to follow um Jonathan Bales is a young, younger guy in the industry and you know his site has all to do with basically computer modeling, you know, what are the statistics showing and all that. And that that site is really cool too, but it shows you that there is more than one way to do something and, and that's the great thing about it. There is no one secret success to daily fantasy sports. Um, you know there there's plenty of different systems and I think Wrath kind of kind of showed us that, you know, what his system might not work for somebody else, and their system might not work for him. So, really interesting guy. Um, it was awesome to have him on the show this week. We're going to be back next week. we got to talk MLB. we got to update the standings. Kind of missed doing that this week, but it was an awesome interview. And we'll be back with Rube again soon. He was great on the U.S. Open. He's going to tell us how it went next week when he comes back on the show. But other than that, have a great weekend, everybody, and we will see you next week. Bye-bye.
0: Revolutionary Talk for Revolutionary Times. Liberty Talk FM.